open to Isaiah chapter 9. You might have a bookmark there from last week. Uh, Hopefully, you spent some time in the Word, uh, other than just where we were. But Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to be here for the next couple of weeks, um, looking at these four names of God as we celebrate and remember and hope in um, the Lord's coming. We call this season Advent, um, and this is Advent week number two. So last week, we we talked about hope. Um, Ben Baer wrote this in his devotional. He ended it by saying, hope is the anthem of our souls. I think Switchfoot might have stolen that from him, but it was a really good quote. And I was, it was so helpful. Hope is the anthem of our souls. And so we're celebrating, we're remembering, we're being hopeful in the Lord. And this week, uh, we remember and uh, have joy. We rejoice that the Lord has come and will come again. So we're going to talk about joy this morning a little bit. Um, and uh, in a room this size, I have to imagine there are some of you that are just like, man, you, so I typed, I typed joy in my phone and just like looked what emoji would pop up, and it was the two starry eyes. I've personally never used that one, um, but may, maybe that's where you are, just like, man, I got the starry eyes, things are great, life is great, and then some of you, maybe that's not the case, maybe a, a season is a little bit different. Um, so I just want to be a blessing to you this morning as we talk about wherever you might be um, in regards to joy. So, Advent, we said this last week, it's the arrival of a notable person, a thing, or an event. And our Advent is all about Jesus. Um, And uh, so our hope is in Jesus, and we can continue in anticipation that because of Jesus, we can rejoice. So our text is 9, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. Let's read it. Uh, It says, for to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Father, you are high and lifted up, exalted over all things, and you have treated us better than we deserve. While we were enemies, you sought us. You revealed yourself to us through your word, and so as we look um, at who you are through your word this morning, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd be in this room, that you'd be active in the hearts, in the minds um, of all of us. Father, I pray that your word would do a work this morning, that it would encourage Um, and convict, and shepherd, and guide. Um, Holy Spirit, thank you uh, for being in us, uh, working on us. I pray that happens now. In your name I pray. Amen. So today I want to focus our attention on the second title. Last week we talked about Wonderful Counselor, and this week I want to talk about that title, and as a reminder, it's given to a child. It's not given to a man. It's not given to a grown-up. It's given to a child. A child will be wonderful counselor. I don't know what kind of counsel your kids give. Um, Sometimes mine is great. Sometimes they're just kind of way off base and I kind of want to put them in their place, if I'm honest, a little bit every now and again. Um, Last week, oh man, uh, yesterday, my daughter had me film this. She said, um, so we were talking about dating, how you know, just like, you're, you're nine, what do you, you know, so she's not interested in it at all. She's not interested, it's great. 
And I'm like, there's going to come a day when that changes, you know? And she's like, uh-uh, no, it won't, Dad. I'm like, well, it probably will, and it's okay. We'll talk. And um, she's like, I'm still after college. And I said, hang on, let me get that on video. So I just put that on video and said, okay, that's what we're saying right now, all right? And so I've got that ready to go when she hits, I don't know, 13, 14, whenever that happens. It'll be good times. Um, so, wonderful counselor. This child will also be called mighty God. A child will be called mighty God. And so um, the theme for today is this, the big idea is this, in the presence of mighty God, there is fullness of joy. In the presence of mighty God, there is fullness of joy. Um, I got to warn you, today's a little bit of a Bible drill. Um, And so some of the places I reference, you might have them on the screen. I might just say them and keep going. Uh, Just write them down and check in later. You're going to be flying a lot with me. Uh, And so, hey, if you can keep up, awesome. I did Bible drill as a kid, like legit Bible drill. I was one of those kids, right? Those church punk kids that like knew it all, but the heart hadn't changed yet. Lord got a hold of my heart, changed me. It was great. But uh, so yeah, Bible drill a little bit this morning. Um, So Psalm 1611 says this. David writes, you make known to me the path of your, of life. Uh, In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David says, God, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. So we want to agree with the scriptures. In God's presence is fullness of joy. So what is joy? Um, Well, in the New Testament, it's not merely an emotion. It's a characteristic of a Christian. So it's more than just the star emojis in the eyes. It's actually a fruit of the spirit mentioned in Galatians, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, on and on and on we go. But it's a fruit of the spirit. It's a, it's a work that the spirit does in you continuously and produces continuously. Not in its completeness all the time, of course, but it's a work that the spirit does. It's not affected by circumstance, however adverse the circumstance might be. In fact, your joy may increase as a result of suffering if that suffering is for Christ's sake. Billy Graham said this, he said, the joyful person has learned how to be content, the secret of being content with whatever life brings. Whatever life brings, I'm going to live in a state of contentment. So that contentment's got to come from some other place other than our circumstances, right? So I want to exhort you today, brothers and sisters in Christ, you can rejoice And I want to call us to that. I want to call us to have joy, just like you do when your team scores. I watched a little bit of the World Cup. That's about as much soccer as I give my life to. Every four years, I watch like a half a game. Um, And then I try to watch another game, and I'm reminded, for me, it's boring. I'm offending somebody in the room right now. Uh, uh, Sorry, I I love you. I just, it's, they just, you know, it's, I need more scoring in my life, all right? So I'm a football guy. Um, But yeah, so, you know, so USA, we just kind of got out of the World Cup, but we beat Iran, and I was a fan of that. And uh, so when we scored our goal, I was like, yeah, this is great. Celebrated a little bit. You know, I kind of cared somewhat. I'm already kind of out of it. I'm I'm okay now. Um, But it was a celebration for a second. Like, yeah, we did that. That was cool. Great. Um, So when your team scores, that moment when you celebrate, that's what rejoicing is, or maybe when you receive a gift can have joy in that moment. The anticipation of the gift, the opening of it, it's something you wanted and it's a joy. Um, or maybe it's the uh, visiting of family. Maybe. Um, for me it is. Uh, and so a couple of weeks ago, well, about a month ago now, my mom calls me and she says, um, hey, I think I've been hacked. Can you help me? So sure, mom, let's talk about that. Send me the email. I won't click the links, but I'll help kind of observe what I'm seeing and we'll kind of walk through it. So we did that. Um, 
And at the end of the phone call, I said, man, I'm so excited to see you in a couple weeks. She said, huh? And I said, right? Mama, are we, we're coming. Did you know we were coming? Did I not? I failed to tell you that. She said, well, it's fine. I think I'm glad you're coming. Um, I just forgot to tell my mom. And I trust my mom's memory more than my own. So in my head, I'm like, did I just have that whole conversation with you in my head? And I never physically had it out loud. I just thought I did. And so I, sometimes I do that, forget. So she's like, man, I'm so, 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 so she kind of went through surprise and like probably a little bit of like, okay, I got to get the house ready. We're going to have four more people in it. But then there was quickly like just rejoicing. She was excited and I could hear it in her voice. Her countenance changed. She called me saying, I got hacked. Please help me. I'm nervous. And it ended with rejoicing because uh, her whole family comes, you know, and, and that was great. Um, and so rejoicing, man, I, I, I want us to be a people who can rejoice. But I know that your lives are not filled with your team always winning, with things just generally going well for you and you're just kind of in this consistent state of comfort, the flow of good news. That's not reality in a fallen world, right? Our teams lose. Three feet of snow falls in November. That happened, people. <laughs> our friends and family betray our trust. Our bodies fail us, relationships, on and on and on. There is pain, discomfort, loneliness, heartache, and loss. So how do we have joy in those moments? I know that some of you in the room, I see your prayer requests. I got, I got news of just stuff in the middle of last week that was hard uh, to hear, not personally, just want to make that clear, because it sounded like when I said that, I was like, okay, maybe they think I just got really bad news myself. No, but just learned of some things that are going on in some of the folks in our church and my family, and it's hard. And we're called to rejoice, to have joy in all circumstances. We just sang, if you never did another thing for me, it's all I'll ever need. Um, and I just want to help us figure out, man, how can we have joy um, in those moments? So here's the uh, format for today. It's three points, um, and it's this. Mighty God, so we're going to spend some time talking about mighty God, became man. Mighty God became man, and your response to that truth determines your joy. Mighty God became man and your response to that truth determines your joy. So number one, let's talk about mighty God. What does it mean for God to be mighty? Now, this is just part of God's nature. It's not all of who he is, of course, right? We know him to be generous and loving and kind and gracious and just. But he's also called in the scriptures mighty. So what does that mean? Well, in here, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, um, the word that's translated mighty God is El Gibor. And the word Gibor has the idea of being hero-like. So, um, you know, uh, a couple years ago, it, when we sang in VBS, Jesus is, Jesus, you're my superhero. Um, anybody in the room remember that song? It was great until you got to the yeah, yeah, yeahs, and it was just like a lot of those and kind of repetitive. I'm not going to sing for you this morning, um, but that song, it kind of flows out of this name for God. Jesus is my superhero. God, you are El Gabor. You are mighty hero warrior God. He is uh, transcendent. He has unbounded power. He is higher than us. He is over than over us. And he is other than us. He's not like us. God is transcendent 
and mighty. We see this all throughout the scriptures. You see it in passages like Job 38. Job 38 um, is just a blessing to my soul. If you've read the book of Job, if you're familiar with it, Job's gone through an extremely difficult season of life. He's lost his family. His kids have died. He's lost his wealth. He's lost his health. His wife told him to curse God and die. And so he's spending some time chatting with these three friends that are not very helpful for him. And he's asking some questions to the Lord. And he's wondering, man, God, what in the world? Why are you treating me so poorly? Um, And so God responds and says, Job, I've got some questions for you as well. And just kind of takes him on a journey, wraps his arm around his, hey, let's take a walk. And I'm just going to remind you of some things. And this is what God says. Hey, Job, um, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who determined its measurements? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? He's just spending some time with Job saying, Job, don't you forget who I am? Don't you, you remember who I am? I am wise and all powerful and I know what I'm doing. Um, so he's reminding Job, right? So, but, but those are not things that we can say about ourselves, right? This is just the Lord's work. In Psalm 24, David writes, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Who is he, this king of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. Isaiah uh, 9, 7, uh, the, the, a little bit later when we read it, said, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. We're going to talk a lot more about that verse uh, in a couple of weeks. But there will be a government that this child mighty God will have that will just only increase And there will be no end to that increase. He's mighty. Psalm 89. He crushes nations and scatters enemy. Isaiah 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? I'm sorry, that's not a question. I'm going to say that again. So God, comma, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span. So everybody do this. Get your hand out and just, you know, kind of cup it together like you're trying to hold as much water as you can. Maybe if you've got a big hand, what's well, like a half a cup or something, right? The Lord holds all of the oceans together in the hollow of his hand, just this little piece in the palm. And he measures the heavens with a span. The span is the distance between your thumb and your ring finger, Okay. Um, for big hands, it might be about nine inches. For mine, it's like eight and a half, something like that. I don't know. But that's it. God measures the heavens with a span. I can't palm a basketball. And he's got it all. He created every atom, every tree, every planet. You know, the sun is like 93 million miles away. It takes light traveling at the speed of light, eight minutes to get to this planet. And it'll cook your skin right off of you if you hang out in it too long. And he placed it and every other star in the sky simply with the words, let there be. Didn't raise his blood pressure, heart rate didn't go up a titch, just let there be. He's got it. Nothing made him, and he has no beginning, and he has no end. He's not bound by time or space. 
because God is holy, we cannot approach him. We aren't able to. Moses asked to see God's glory in Exodus. God said, you cannot handle me. I'll let you see my backside. That's it. He lives in unapproachable light. Because of our sin, because of the pollution within us, outside of Jesus, we cannot have fellowship with God. We cannot be in his presence. We don't, we don't get to. He will not allow, because he is holy, he will not allow sin to pollute who he is in his presence. He's unapproachable. But earlier I said that in the presence of mighty God, there is fullness of joy. Yet he's unapproachable. So how do we enter his presence? Well, here is a truth that is unique to Christianity. Other religions might have some God or whatever that they ascribe worth to. Um, but this is, this is Christianity um, only, all right? This is unique to us. We cannot go to God. We cannot do enough of the good stuff, enough of the right stuff to outweigh the bad stuff. We're polluted with sin. And we cannot make our way to him. But the good news of Christmas is that because of his love for us and for his name, though we could not go to him, he came to us. And he pursues us. He sent his son who would enter our world like one of us. And he would come born as a child. Isaiah is prophesying, prophesying about what we today call the incarnation. And remember, Micah said this last week, Isaiah is writing 700 years before uh, this time. And he's saying, there will be a child who comes that will wonderfully counsel you, that will be your mighty God. And the incarnation is the fulfillment of that prophecy. The glorious, beautiful truth. We could not go to God, so God came to us. So number two this morning, mighty God. We've looked at who it means, to, what it means for God to be mighty. The second component of that sentence, mighty God became man. And, and though this truth is common in our minds, if you spent time in church, it should, just, it should just blow your mind that mighty God and all of what it means for God to be mighty, wise, all-powerful, warrior God is encapsulated in the body of a baby. It's a mystery that God became 100% man while still retaining 100% of what it means to be God, 100% of his deity. But it's not as if he became something more when he came to earth. He didn't add anything that caused him to be more valuable, right? God is supreme and completely content within himself. So when he took on flesh, it's more like this. In 1997, a car came out called the McLaren F1. I was 13 years old in 1997. That's what the car looked like. It's a million-dollar supercar. It was a million dollars back in 97, so it's more now or whatever. And I think they're like classic collectibles now, which doesn't make me feel old at all. But in 13, I was like, man, I'm going to get me one of those one day. I'm going to drive one of those. I don't know how, but I'm going to try to make that happen in my life. It didn't happen. It's okay. Um, 
But, but when I saw that car, I remember thinking, gosh, I want, I'd really love to drive that. Now, let's say in some sense and some way you were able to make that happen for me as a 13-year-old, and I'm given this McLaren F1, and I take it for a spin, and I just drive it through a mud pit, right? And it gets caked in mud. This million-dollar supercar just gets caked in mud. It's still a supercar. It's not changed its essence of what it is. And it's added this mud, but it has not added to its glory. It's subtracted from its glory as a supercar, right? So it's added mud, but subtracted. And that's kind of what it means for God to become man. Though he added on bones and flesh, what he really did um, was, was give up some of, um, well, let me, just, let me just make sure I'm not going to just make a heresy right now. So he's still completely 100% God. Mitch is going to check me on this. Um, but there were moments where he had to live life as a baby and all that it means to be a baby, right? Left heaven, came to earth to live like one of us. Spurgeon uses the word condescended. God condescended to be like one of us. It means he came down here. Though he was rich, he became poor. So my daughter likes to play with dolls. I've got two kiddos. They're both girls. Um, and they're kind of a little bit starting to move out of the doll stage. They're still in it. But earlier on in their life, they would say, Dad, come and play dolls with me. So they'd be playing and they'd have their own imaginative world. And from time to time, my daughter, my older daughter, Claire, would grab a doll and she would give it to me and she would say, talk him, Dad, talk him or talk her. Um, and what she meant was, like, enter into my world and catch on to what the drama that's going on right now and, like, keep the story moving, Right. Um, and, and so there were days when I would just, oh, sweetie, I'd love to. I can't right now. I wasn't always just every, every moment able to do it. But oftentimes I would. And I would, I would sit on the couch and I would kind of lean over and I would talk. And I would play along. And she would stop me and she'd say, no, dad, not like that. Get down here. Come down here. Be with me. That's what she's saying. It wasn't enough for, just to, for me to sit on the couch and do the thing she wanted me to come down and be on her level. My kids wanted me to condescend to them from time to time, to get off the comfort of the couch and to play with them, to enter their world, to understand them, to be with them. Mighty God has entered our world. He is still God. We see Jesus walking on water, healing blind men, raising the dead, calming the storm. Hebrews 1 says, Jesus is heir of all things. And it's through Jesus that God created the universe. It says the sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus retains all of his godhood while also becoming completely human. His journey is really the first mission trip. I don't know if you've been on a mission trip before, but if you have, uh, maybe short-term or long-term or whatever, you know that there are some things involved with going on a mission trip. Jesus left his position and his status. He was known. He left comfort and security, he had no needs, was being worshiped, and he left that place and took on a body that would grow and tire 
that would hunger and thirst, that would sweat and bleed and break like our bodies break. And he did it to seek and to save us. He entered a place where he'd be misunderstood, mistreated, mocked and betrayed. He was let down by his friends. He was humiliated, beaten and crucified. All done to make a way for you and I to attain a right relationship and experience the joy of the presence of the Lord. That's why Jesus came. So mighty God became man and your response to that truth will determine your joy. The incarnation, the sinless life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus is the evidence of God's love for you and his desire for you to experience the joy that comes in the presence of the Lord. But we must all do something with this truth. The call today is this. Repent, believe that this baby Jesus is Lord. Repent and believe. Jesus' first words in Matthew after he began his ministry uh, was the call to repent. In Mark, the first words in red in your Bible are this, the kingdom of heaven, I'm sorry, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. It's the message that Jesus came to preach. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we are to confess Jesus as Lord. This claim of Jesus as Lord is something unique to Christianity as well. Um, The majority of the world believes in a man named Jesus. They believe that a guy named Jesus lived and walked and talked and was influential around AD 30 in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. Most of the world agrees with that. They stop short of calling him Lord. He was a good man. He was an influential teacher, taught with authority. Our Muslim friends call him a prophet and stop there. Our Jewish friends look at this um, prophecy in Isaiah 9 and they see a mighty God prophesied, this mighty warrior king, and they expected him to rise and conquer the kingdoms of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So to confess Jesus as Lord is unique. He's not a prophet. He's not a good teacher. He is those things, but he's more. He claimed to be God. And you've got to deal with that claim of Jesus to be God. He said, before Abraham was, I am. So either he's lying or he's crazy or he is in fact the son of God and God himself. To confess Jesus as Lord is to submit to him as Lord over your life. To confess Jesus as Lord is to agree that this mighty God that we see all over the Old Testament, just think of what God did in the Old Testament, moments where he reached down into our world and impacted it, right? So you've got creation, this creator, God, you've got the Red Sea splitter, the Jericho wall crusher, 
on and on and on, this mighty warrior, sun-stopping, dry bones reviving God is Jesus, transcendent over all, but has come to be near in the person of Christ, to live with us, to live like us, to die for us. Hebrews 12.2 says it this way, um, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the, hand, uh, the, right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The cross was anything but a joyful experience. Some of you have had the hard phone call at some point in your life. Jesus was aware that he would live, that he would die at the ripe old age of 33, and that death would be excruciatingly painful, excruciating. We made that word up to describe the kind of pain that exists at the cross. It means out of the cross, cross pain. 33 years old. For the joy set before him endured that. So when we repent and submit and call him Lord, there is rejoicing in heaven. Did you know this? When a believer repents and submits and calls Jesus Lord, heaven rejoices. You see this in Luke 15. There's these three different parables given. Um, One of the verses says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Think of the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told. You've got this son who goes up to his dad. He says, hey, dad, I would like your money that comes to me when you're supposed to die, but I, I want it now. I wish you were dead. I want your money. And God, uh, God uh, the, the father gives the son the money. The son goes, spends the money wildly, pursuing the pleasures of the world that don't satisfy, comes back empty-handed, broken, hungry, just hoping to live like the pig in his dad's yard. And the dad sees him from far off. Jesus tells the story. Dad, dad sees his son from far off. And he's not standing at the door with his arms crossed, tapping his foot. He's celebrating. He's yelling to his people, hey, kill the fattened calf. We're going to throw a feast. Throws a party to celebrate the return of his son. There is rejoicing in heaven at your salvation. You have much reason to rejoice as well. Because now your life is not about seeking the pleasures of the world. Trying to continuously fill up a tank that just keeps running dry. With the pathetic offerings the world can prescribe, no, Christian, you are in Christ and he is in you. Look around for a second. Just look around. If these people around you are Christians, they are your brothers and sisters and you them. You're in a family. That's the way we view the world now. So when we repent and believe... The next step is abiding. We spent a whole year looking at this word abide. It just means to be with. Uh, but there's, there's different kind of levels of withness, right? So if I'm in a room with my family and they're watching a Christmas movie and I'm not really into it and I'm just like playing Sudoku on my phone or something, yes, I'm existing in the same room as them, 
but I'm not really with them, right? There's a different level of with where like dad's home, but he's really not present. He's just kind of his body's there, but his brain's somewhere else. Uh, I've been that. So what it means to be with God is not that picture, but it's close fellowship, staring at each other, talking, interacting. Um, that's what it means to abide with God. It doesn't mean that you look on your phone and you get your reading for today and you go, okay, this is what I'm supposed to read today. And you just kind of read it. And you close your Bible and you go about your day, right? You kind of check the box of the, okay, I did my thing. I'm supposed to read the Bible. So I did that check and I'm going to go. No, I mean, to abide means to slow down and to communicate with the Lord. And sometimes that prayer might need to be something like this. God, I don't really want to read today. I'm just, I'd really watch, I'd rather, you know, just kind of start my day some other way. I'd rather sleep 20 more minutes. God, can you change my heart? Psalm 51, David says, incline my heart to you. I am bent away from you. God, would you bend me back towards you, towards your will? And then you enjoy the scriptures and you read them and you learn from them and you apply them and you pray them and you ask him, God, what would you have me do to hear from him in his word? That's what it means to abide. So Jesus gives this command in John 15, abide. And he says this, these things I have spoken to you, I want you to abide so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. We abide with the Lord in our pursuit of joy. He's not only with you, but he understands you. It's a wonderful thing to be understood. I think it's increasingly rare. We all want people to understand us. Uh, rarer is the person who's trying to understand the other right? So be that kind of person. And how helpful is it for you when you meet someone who's traveled the road that you've just started on? When you meet somebody who's gone through what you're about to start going through, Jesus knows. He understands that. He's been overlooked. He's been humiliated. All of it. Maybe you feel overlooked today. Just kind of, you feel like people endure you or tolerate you or walk by you and don't really give you a thought. Think about the first people that get the news of the birth of Jesus. Who is it? It's the shepherds. That's who gets the news. Not the prominent guys in the center of the city. The guys out tending sheep, the overlooked, the smelly. That's who gets the news first. Jesus sees you. Maybe you're to be the joy bringer to someone who has been overlooked this week. Maybe don't overlook them. Maybe reach out to them, grab a cup of coffee with them, go to lunch. That's what we do for each other. You help people bear burdens. Maybe you need to humble yourself and ask somebody to bear your burden. Hey, can you take me to coffee? I need to chat with you. Have that conversation. We're family. But maybe things are just kind of falling apart. Your house, your car, your body, just then it's not looking good. I want to give you this. These things are doing to be endured only for a season. And that season will end. And there will be a day when it is not like it is right now. When I was graduating high school, um, I moved through the same school system all throughout. My last name is Downing. And a lot of times they separated us by our last name. So alphabetical, I had like a homeroom class and it was with the same kind of people. It was like the, the C's and the D's and the E's, right? And so I grew up with these people and did life with them frequently. I wasn't really best friends with any of them, but just kind of acquaintances. But I cared what they thought about me. I remember graduating as a senior, cap and gown is on, we're in line, and of course they got us organized by last name. So I'm around all these people that I've been around with a lot of my life. And I remember so clearly looking around and going, I don't think I'm gonna see any of you people ever again. And I cared so much what they thought of me. 
And there was this moment, uh, this crystallization moment where I was just like, man, high school, I put a lot of energy and effort into all of that. And now graduating out of it and looking back, it's just kind of this short little moment of my life that, um, that man, while you're living in it, it just seems like the biggest deal in the world. And then you graduate out of it and you go, okay, high school is high school and life is life. And that's, you know, it's not the best years of my life. It's just this moment in my life, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the impact I thought it would have when I was in it, right? Your whole life, the scriptures say, is like dew on the grass gone by lunchtime. You're a vapor, a mist. We're not long for this world. And you can rejoice that this is not your home. During Christmas, we remember the coming of Jesus, but our hope is not only in the slain lamb, but in the promised lion of Judah, who will come again and make all things new, all things right. In the presence of mighty God, there is fullness of joy, and we will be in his presence. Revelation 21. John had a vision. He says, I saw this. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell, dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. In the presence of God, those things are done with. But all we get right now are glimpses. Worship is a glimpse. Creation can be a glimpse. A couple of uh, weeks ago, about a month or two ago now, Tyler and I, Pastor Tyler and I, we like to hike together. So we went to Glacier National Park and we just did it as cheaply as we could. The goal is just to be at the spot where that guy took that picture. I want to stand there and look at what he took a picture of, right? So we'll take the cheapest flight, sit in the middle, at the back, all that. We eat like tuna out of like pouches, you know, just, just peanut butter on bread cheap, right? So we get there and the goal is to hike up to the spot, to see the thing. So looking forward to this trip in anticipation, I'm like, man, I'm going to be there. I'm going to see that. And it's going to be amazing. And I'm just going to be, I'm going to overwhelm that I can't wait to feel what I'm going to feel when I see those things, when I see that mountain, when I see that lake. And I got there and I climbed and I did it and I saw the things and I just kept waiting and waiting for this moment that didn't come where I'd hoped to be just so overwhelmed but it's just a glimpse. It's not the thing. It's the created. It's not the creator. We get glimpses now, but in heaven, we shall be in his perfect presence. That's what heaven is, God's presence and all that comes with it. So Christian, live in light of eternity. Abide, hope, endure, rejoice. For your joy, find your joy not in your comfort or in ease or in money or relationships or experiences. They'll all leave you wanting more. Find your hope in the presence of mighty God. What makes your joy possible is the presence of God. What makes heaven, heaven is the presence of God. And what makes heaven possible for you and for me is the incarnation, birth, death, resurrection of our Lord Jesus. 
So this season we celebrate, we remember the incarnation, but there is a second advent, a second coming. He will return. And we put our hope in that day. Would you pray with me? Father, we long for the day. We long for the day when all things will be made right, when all things will be made new. When you come in justice and power, in your might, and you reign. We thank you for coming for us. We thank you for leaving heaven and enduring life like us, enduring everything we had to endure yet without sin so that you could die for us in place of us, giving us an opportunity to have a relationship with joy, with, with the Father. Father, we pray pray that you would be mighty in our lives. Father, I pray that if there are people in this room who have not submitted to you and called you Lord, that they would do so. Would you call them to yourself? We thank you for who you are. In your name I pray. Amen.